This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, the number one UK magazine for the sober curious drinker, bringing you news, reviews and interviews from the people, places and brands leading the low and no alcohol revolution. As a Sober Rebel listener, use code SOBERREBEL15 to get 15% off any digital or print subscription from the Low No Drinker magazine for six whole months. Hello and welcome to the Sober Rebel podcast. I'm Louisa Evans and I talk to my guests about the joys of sobriety and the benefits that it's brought them. We talk a bit about their story and how they got sober, but we also talk about why they enjoy staying sober. And today I'm delighted to be able to talk to Richard about his sobriety because it didn't just change loads of elements of his life, it also changed his career and almost his entire identity. So hello Richard, I am so pleased to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Hello. <laughs> it's so lovely to see you. It's I'm very nice good. To meet, I know it's nice to meet people like, well, not in person, but face, virtually in person, face to face, having exchanged voice messages and stuff like that. It's lovely, isn't it? And it's so lovely to see you. Feeling is mutual. <laughs> first of all, could you share for the listeners a little bit about your journey, whatever you want to share about your journey into sobriety, why you maybe chose to go sober, how long you've been sober, that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess um, I don't see my, I don't want to call it a story. It kind of makes it sound really profound and like I'm really overly more important than I actually am. But like in a, in, in terms of a journey, if you like, um, I don't see it as something which was like a journey of of woe or, you know, any sort of, like there's people out there who have got incredible stories of, you know, the impact of alcohol in their lives and how that had really affected them for, you know, a, a long period of their lives. And then that kind of desire to break away from it and the struggle that they've kind of gone through. And that isn't really my story. So from leaving school, I worked in pubs and bars and restaurants and I sort of embraced hospitality, if you like, as an industry from a very young age to save up money to go traveling. And then that led to doing a hospitality management degree at university which then led me into, you know, my first kind of career, which was was managing bars and restaurants and absolutely loved it. And it was like, wow, do you mean I get to do a job for a living where I'm surrounded by this amazing thing, which is alcohol, which like kind of makes me feel cool and gives me confidence and gives you all that sort of self-belief and confidence that I think you sort of perceive you need um, when you are drinking, when you're at the other side of it, in hindsight, it's easy to look back and see it differently. But when you are still drinking, you know, you kind of think that it gives you that that energy, that belief, that confidence to go out, you know, with people and, and socialise, that kind of thing. So to have this opportunity to have this career that was baked around, moulded around booze was like it was like amazing. It was like brilliant. You know, it's sociable. You know, I'm out late at night working with cool people. It, you know, I was like flirting with women all the time, all that kind of thing as well. It was like, you know, numbers across the bar. It was that typical bartender stuff. You know, it even led me to going and doing six months of my university placement on South Beach in Miami, Florida, you oh. know, when I was 21 years old. And you can imagine what that was like for an English guy in America on South Beach. Like, it was just insane. So all of these great things, great experiences that happened in my 20s that were based around alcohol. 
And, you know, I look back on those days and yeah, there were some really unhealthy habits, but the majority of my time was, you know, some really incredible experiences and, and loved it and made some great friends and loved working in hospitality, loved the work hard, play hard sort of approach to it. You know, it is a graft, it is a grind, um, you know, and then you're staying up late, often drinking and then going to work the next day without any sleep. So, you know, quite unhealthy at times, but when you're in your 20s, it's manageable, you know, you can do that. And, you know, and I loved it. And then that then led into sort of towards the back end of my 20s, moving away from actually managing bars and restaurants, kind of recognising that actually sort of some of the sacrifices I'd made in my early 20s were probably not the sort of thing I was going to want to do later in life. So kind of went into more sales roles with alcohol, which was sort of more on the sort of Monday to Friday sense. So it meant that I got my weekends back so I could kind of socialise with all my mates from uni again. You know, I wasn't working in bars and restaurants. So I was out drinking and socialising and partying. But then also through the week, I still had the connection with the thing that kind of almost building this identity for me, which was the booze, the alcohol. I, I never demonise alcohol. I think the problem we have in the UK and our society and Western society is the way that it is marketed, the way that it is sold and the way that it is advertised and promoted and glossed up. You know, everything from going in when I was in the post office yesterday and looking at like a whole array of birthday and Christmas cards that I've got anecdotal jokes about booze. And you're just like, it's just everywhere, you know. And then like billboard that I drove past that said it was promoting some kind of drink. I can't remember the slogan was, but then in the brackets underneath, it just said responsibly. It's like the, 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 the producers are like, oh, we've got to make sure we put responsibly at the bottom. But we're actually trying to get people to drink, but then reminding them or, or just ticking the box to say, well, at least we said it responsibly. So I think the problem is, is the way that we market it. So I had this lifestyle where, you know, I was selling alcohol, I was promoting alcohol, I was drinking alcohol. You know, it was basically my identity inside and outside of work. I was the booze man. You know, if I went to parties with friends, the expectation was that I would either make cocktails for people or that I would come around with a really nice bottle of spirits or if we're out for dinner, it's like, oh, pass Rich the wine menu, you choose some wine. And it, my whole identity was wrapped up in booze. But slowly through my 30s, the actual experience, the physical effects of alcohol and the experience of drinking alcohol really started to weigh down on me and just progressively became trade-off of like the hangover the, for the you know for the benefit of the experience that seesaw started to tip towards the negative and then when we had kids the sort of the effects of hangover and things like that were really starting to acutely affect me like headaches in particular like a splittingly bad head I'd always suffered with head with hangovers I always thought I got hangovers worse than other people but you kind of deal with it when you're a bit younger don't you but then when kids come along it's like right there's another dimension to this yeah, and that's when I kind of started to, I think my relationship with alcohol as a consumer started to change. Whether I knew it or not at the time, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think perhaps I was aware of, of that happening at the time, acutely anyway, driven by the fact that, you know, I was still, my identity was still wrapped up in, in this industry, in the drinks industry from, from a jobs perspective. And by this point, you know, my career was going really well and I was, you know, starting to progress through the sort of the levels of, you know, seniority within the different business I was in. I was getting promoted. I was going to work with different brands. And so I was kind of getting more ingrained in it and it was probably becoming harder as I got older and more ingrained in the industry for me to ever then be able to think that I could come out or come away from that. Um, mm. And then I think what really changed was 
through the pandemic, I think when that first period when hospitality shut down, I, I was most of my customers were hospitality customers. So shit, what the hell's going to happen? The world's going to implode. And then like furlough got brought in and everyone kind of realized, oh, actually, you know, we kids are out of nursery. We're not paying nursery fees. We've got taken a break on the mortgage. My wife is still working. So it weighed up. It was like 80% of salary. Oh, actually, we're going to be all right. This is going to be all right. And the sun's shining. And I don't have to go to work and we can't do anything other than order booze to the door. And let's just sit in the garden and have a gin and tonic at 11 o'clock on a Monday morning. And so that first period of lockdown, I think that's what happened. I think a lot of people probably did similar things. And there was times throughout the pandemic where my behaviour with, with regards to alcohol was pretty rubbish in many ways. And I did things that I totally look back on now with a complete embarrassment. You know, and, and, and I think that was when I started to think that perhaps my relationship with alcohol is no longer a health, 100% healthy one. And then we came out of the pandemic and I didn't realise it at the time, but my mental health was really, really poor, was really bad. And the six months back end of uh, 2021, that became really apparent. My sort of version of rock bottom was finding myself sort of sat at the kitchen table, coming to terms with thoughts around whether the people closest to me my nearest and dearest would be better off without me on this planet you know and that's a really really hard thing to process when historically you would always consider yourself to be quite a sort of upbeat positive person yeah but deep down inside actually I think it was the coping mechanisms which I'd always relied on typical bloke you know if something's wrong call your mates go for a beer in the pub that'll forget help you forget about it don't have to worry about it that kind of thing or go for a run or whatever and those coping mechanisms were no longer working. And so some really frank conversations with my wife, Bridget, quite tearful, quite emotional conversations because it was clearly affecting her. It was affecting the kids. It was affecting my relationship with them. The good thing is that, you know, it never got to a point where I would ever have considered acting upon those thoughts. But just having those thoughts is is really unnerving. And then at the end of 2021, I'd taken breaks from alcohol for a few years before that dry January is turning into, you know, February and March and three month periods so I'd done extended periods of, of being alcohol free you know and I was never really I would never have considered myself to be physically addicted to alcohol I think my my relationship with alcohol was really wrapped up in this whole idea of identity really and that was the thing that was was difficult for me to break away from yeah. um, not actually the physical act of, of stopping drinking and then at the end of 2021 I sort of made the decision that i kind of it was a good time to take a break from drinking and and initially it was partly driven by all the things that I mentioned before but then at the time I I felt like I needed an excuse to not drink I wasn't comfortable with using poor mental fitness as that reason for it so I'd signed up to a half iron distance triathlon in the middle of 2022 so that was my excuse oh I'm training for this event and drinking isn't conducive to training at that level so I'm not drinking for that six months until that event and that was my excuse you know how weird is that um my husband used the one year no beer bag yeah because he wanted his mates at work I don't know you know he's he's not bothered now he got invited to some do um some award ceremony and his boss was saying the the drinks are going to be flowing he's like I don't drink yeah but the the drinks are going to be flowing he's like I'm not interested in going I don't drink it yeah. just doesn't interest me and he he declined the invitation and everybody thought he was absolutely mad because it was a, a free do and it was booze you know oh, just ridiculous but we do feel like we need to justify it because 
what's the alternative for some people? And this is the, the, the message that we all need to understand. You don't have to hit a rock bottom or you don't even have to label yourself. Yeah, you can just like for me, it was just I got to the point where I was like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I don't yeah. like the effect. And I actually remember now, I distinctly remember a feeling towards the end of it that I don't enjoy it. I'm not enjoying the effect of alcohol. I got and that, was, yeah. that, that was that was even at, at the point of having one drink you know and, and going for a pint with my mates and I remember you know that that feeling of walking away from the pub because I, I think because I was was drinking very little at that stage anyway my, my consumption had gone down and of course when you when you consume less your tolerance goes down and it's that sort of self-fulfilling prophecy if you like if your tolerance goes down you know you're able to handle it worse um, I was always a lightweight anyway you know I was never able to help my drink particularly well and like my friends would always sort of say that you know I think at, at school my younger years I was nicknamed Lenny Lightweight because I just could not handle my booze and then other other labels I've had uh, Tricky Dicky Ticking Time Bomb because at some point I was just going to do something silly basically like oh, no. give him give him enough booze and like literally like wind him up and let him go like you were the entertainment done. yeah oh, totally 100 percent the yeah. entertainment yeah it was almost like like i was that reliable if you give him enough booze he'll do something stupid and i mean that's a total another podcast to have for a different audience in terms of the things, stupid things that i've done when i've been drunk but like yeah i just i got to that point where i don't enjoy how i feel i don't enjoy walking home feeling like i'm swaying and then getting home and not being compass mentors with the kids and slurring my words and just like I'm not enjoying this. I just don't like this anymore. I don't like the feeling. Like, and as you said, it was never a case of I particularly had a problem. Certainly not later on with alcohol. I mean, this just isn't serving me. I'm just not enjoying this. There must be something else. There must be another option. The knock-on effect from from taking a break, of course, with my job within about two or three months was like, ah, shit, this isn't really working. <laughs> I feel like a bit of yeah. a. I feel like a bit of a hypocrite here because on one hand, I'm actively distancing myself from the thing that I'm meant to be selling and promoting. And I and I did love my job. It was all I ever knew. I didn't mm. I didn't have I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't, you know, I've not finished my degrees. I didn't I didn't get a degree in the end. I didn't know any other industry. I didn't know anything else. I, I knew booze. I knew the industry inside out. And that was really, really difficult. And I went through this kind of total identity crisis through the sort of the beginning part of last year um, into sort of summer last year when I'd kind of made the decision to leave, battled with that, handed my notice in, did my notice period, got this, landed this job, which was in a different sector entirely, really, and, and wasn't something I was particularly interested in, but I thought, right, it's a compromise, it's a good opportunity, it's well-paid, good people. I thought, okay, right, fine, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's see what we can do. I can't, forever, I can't be the guy that has a job that's basically like a hobby you know I've got to knuckle down at some point and did that and it was a segue out of what I was doing but it didn't work out at that point I was a year alcohol free I'd also worked with some great coaches as well so I started working with two fantastic mindset coaches it was two guys that got it that had been through similar sort of things and worked with them at the beginning of 2022 just on things like mindset and it was all about essentially making a number of like the, the big change had already happened removing alcohol had already happened so that was kind of the, the sort of biggest step but then it was making a number of other small simple changes to make but not necessarily easy ones to do consistently 
Yeah, like um, atomic habits, isn't it? The the kind of the small micro changes. Exactly. Which which are which are small and fairly simple adjustments to make. So, you know, mm. mindfulness, gratitude, yeah. meditation, you know, You're the talking language my that, language. <laughs> yeah, the, the, well, I was gonna say the language that we use with ourselves, you know, the sort of the NLP yeah. stuff. And and that's when my really piqued my interest. And that really sort of helped kind of crystallize the choice to stop drinking but also helped me crystallise and solidify all of those other changes that I made in my life. I, I'd had a period of divorce, if you like, from yeah. alcohol. So it wasn't just like for anyone who doesn't work in the drinks. You were really it, in it, though, weren't you? Oh, you were, God. You know, it was your I identity. Mean, the easiest way to describe it was like when if you've got a spoon and you dip it in a jar of honey, yeah. and then you put that honey on your cornflakes, or not on your cornflakes, that's maybe a bit too far, <laughs> but on your porridge or whatever. You know what I mean? Um and then that spoon's still got honey on it. And you put that spoon on the side, on the worktop. I mean, I'm a bit OCD, so it's giving me a it's sending shivers down my That's spine. That's already stressing you out, yeah. Yeah, it is a little bit. But then if you then go to lift that spoon up, that stickiness that attaches the spoon to the that stays there, it's pulling that spoon off. It's not just a just lifting a spoon up normally. You've got that sticky attachment there. Yeah. That's what it that's what it was like for me. And so how long have you actually been sober then? What you went sober in twenty 20- <laughs> two years on the 30th of December I don't I'm not a day counter um yeah. you're a year counter now <laughs> well I know the date I know the date I made the decision to stop when I stopped it was the 30th of December 2021 you know that journey you had in the first instance where you're almost experimenting with it and then you're noticing well I'm not enjoying this one drink and I think that's that's part of the journey as well I remember drinking and not enjoying it I'm thinking why am I doing this this is absolutely bonkers. And that's when you realise, right, this is bigger than me now. Mm-hmm. This isn't about me enjoying this drink. This is about some sort of addiction. And when you read then, obviously, that alcohol is a drug and how it's affecting your system and your brain, then it all clicks and you go, oh, okay, so I need to detox for a few days. And then actually it's all about the emotional and psychological side of things. But that identity for you most people have an identity around being a drinker. I did. I mm. was the mum who would always have, I've got, do you want to really have some Prosecco, you know, with the play date, that kind of thing. And, oh, it's five o'clock somewhere. You know, all of those ridiculous sayings yeah. that I cringe at now. I really do. that I said them. But I think everybody has an identity. For you, it was your job. Yeah. And a lifelong career, isn't it, really, from yeah. teenage years through. Yeah. Well done. I mean, that's a big old change for you and so what what did you end up doing then because I know what you've ended up doing but just tell Uh, everybody what you've ended up doing to to take that skill set and use it positively yeah so I so I did that job that didn't work out for two months and in some ways that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because um I remember walking into that that three-month appraisal meeting on the Monday and like I knew that I kind of I wasn't engaged with it and and sat down and he said look this probably isn't going to go the way you wanted it to um we're going to terminate your contract as of now and I just sat there for a couple of seconds and looked at him and sort of took a deep breath and I just said thank you and he looked at me and he went what do you mean and I said thank you you've basically opened up a door of opportunity to me which I'm going to walk through now and the reason why I, I said that is because I'd the coaches that I worked with there in the year I'd been on a, a men's well-being retreat with them where we'd worked on everything from breath work meditation mindfulness goal setting reducing removing limiting beliefs about yourself 
over that weekend, I had worked on coming up with this idea of, of what I was going to create and what I was going to go and do, which started life in the summer last year as a book. And I was sat in the car with my wife, Bridget, and I looked at her and said, I'm going to write a book. And she went, all oh, right, OK, yeah, OK, well, what's the book going to be called? And I said, it's going to be called Clean Break, My Messy Divorce from Alcohol. She's like, all oh, right, OK, OK, that sounds interesting. Anyway, sort of mulled that over. Didn't end up going through with that because I realised that writing a book probably wasn't going to be a very good source, reliable source of income. Um, but I love the name Clean Break. Fast forward a few couple of months over this weekend of this men's retreat, working all the stuff we did, I kind of realized that actually I could I could create a brand called Clean Break because I loved the name. I loved what Clean Break stood for. It stood for me making a clean break from alcohol. It stood for me making a clean break from a life that was no longer serving me. It just snowballed in my head. I was like, this could really work. I've got something here. You know, anyway, so obviously I'd had 25 years in the drinks industry. So I kind of had contacts. I thought, I think I can launch my own alcohol-free beer brand. So Clean Break was essentially born over that weekend. So fast forward to this meeting that I had with that boss at the time, and he said, we're going to let you go. I'd already had this idea for Clean Break, which was kind of gathering pace in my head. At the same time, I thought, right, I've got to just hold fire on this job, tread water in this job that I don't really like for six months whilst I'm doing work in the background on the beer and getting it set up to a point where I can then walk away from it and go right let's do the beer anyway that didn't happen because they let me go but rather than thinking oh whoa me I've not got a job now I thought no actually this is an opportunity this is the this is the world telling me that this is what you this is what you should be doing now you know and sometimes the world has a a funny way of giving us messages and and at that time that was the message that the world was giving me was back yourself this is your opportunity to do something you've aspired to do for many years, which was set up your own business. And so that was when Clean Break was born, essentially. And because, you know, that, that rationalisation of income, you know, how are you going to mm. pay the bills, all of that kind of stuff as well. You know, we didn't have any savings or anything like that. We'd always lived a good life, a decent life, because I was always well paid. You know, we didn't struggle in that sense. But then it was, right, okay, this has got a slightly different dimension to it because... We just remortgaged the house, or we were just remortgaging the house um, with the intention of doing some work on the house. However, when that came through, um, the first challenge really I faced was to convince Bridget that it was a good idea and that I should take some of the money from the remortgage and put it into this like ridiculous dream of starting launching my own alcohol free beer brand and starting my own business. And, and you know, she said, Look, you know, obviously, as any good partner would do, I, I, I believe you. I have faith in you, and I, I think you can do it. So, oh, um, wow. so, so we did. You know, we had some of the money which we, which I knew would kind of keep us afloat, and the rest, as I say, is history. Well, so... we tried it. You sent us some, and yeah, it is lovely. Really nice, alcohol-free. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because my hubby is is a bit like that. He does like a beer. He likes to. So he stopped drinking with me. Anybody that's listening to this podcast over a few episodes will know that. But he stopped as well. But he is somebody that does still like having the act sometimes of having a beer. Um, But it is a really nice, really lovely alcohol free beer. Well done. I don't even know how you go about doing something like that. That's so clever. Yeah. Do you know what? And, And I'm exactly the same as your husband. I love the taste of beer. I just don't like the effects of the alcohol. And that was always that was always kind of one of my whys with doing the beer from day one. It was to create something that I was proud of, that I could drink, that I could share with friends, just like for your husband, to get to enjoy a great tasting alcohol-free beer. 
without the fear and the anxiety and the, the self-loathing that comes. They don't put that in the adverts, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> Maybe they <laughs> should. They did. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Yeah. A side of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I invite my guests on to talk about three areas that have changed. I mean, there's one big area for you that has changed in sobriety, obviously, like your whole identity. Yeah. But what would be your first thing that you would talk about? Yeah, no, it's a brilliant question. And uh, I was thinking about this a lot during the week. And um, I mean, th- there are so many things, you know, and, and I think one of the points to, to make about this is that I think a lot of people worry about taking a break from alcohol because they view it as what they're missing out on or the things they're going to miss out on. And that is really a paradigm. That's a mindset. One of the biggest things I think for a lot of people is being able to try and shift that mindset away from you know, missing out or, you know, giving up, you know, you're not giving up, you're gaining in so many ways. If you're able to move beyond that sort of first few months, then the really kind of good stuff really starts to happen. And, yeah, you know, and and, and, it, and it is, and there isn't really an area of my life which hasn't fundamentally improved, if I'm honest with you. But the three, three sort of things that I've made a note of, which I think for me are kind of the real standouts. So first one, being comfortable in my own skin. And there's a few different layers to this. Like, I think for many years, I was guilty of people pleasing. Like, I'm a recovering people pleaser without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. And I did that for many years. And I did that whilst through uni. And, you know, I acted and behaved in a way which I thought I needed to to make friends and, and retain friends and be part of a certain type of gang, clique or group of individuals or, you know, whatever it was. And so I think I was always sort of doing things for people pleasing and not necessarily for my own benefit. I think also on the back of that, being comfortable in your own skin removes that worry about what other people think of you as well. Yeah, that's a difficult one, isn't it? That really is difficult, that one. Yeah, and and I think, again, the people pleasing element, I think, has a knock on effect on this. You know, you do sort of, you're constantly worrying about, oh, you know, did I say the wrong thing? Or, oh, you know, you've got to say something which I think other people want to hear me say and like that has pretty much gone now like I really don't I'm really not that bothered about what other people think of me like not in a way where I'm going to go out and start being abusive or nasty to people that would just be really stupid um but you know I'm not really bothered if people say call me boring or say oh you know bore off you know which I get comments that I got when I first stopped from some of my closest friends you know they sound delightful a bit they're my brothers but you know I, I guess one of the only negative sides is is perhaps the, the change in some of the relationships in their life but like you know I will always be there for my mates I always love them to bits I just don't spend a huge amount of time with them anymore because I don't want to do the things that we you know we were doing when, when we were at university anymore um yeah. I don't I don't want to go and sit in pubs drinking pints and pints and pints and having the same old conversations and then you know getting so drunk that you end up phoning a drug dealer and doing something stupid in someone's kitchen till five o'clock in the morning it's that's not the life that I really want to live anymore I've got other things that I want to do now which give me much more visceral fulfillment and happiness as opposed to just seeking pleasurable experiences so that not being worried about what other people think of me I think is is a big one and then also from the being comfortable in my own skin you also get that element of self-belief as well so you know, when you start to be be comfortable with yourself, you kind of taken off that mask and you kind of believe in your own ability, that confidence sort of comes out, not in an arrogant way, but just in a, 
you know, I, I can do this. I'm going to back myself, you know, and yeah. that was so important for me, especially launching my own beer brand. Firstly, walking away from a long-term career, but then also launching my own my own business. And I've had to kind of keep in mind all the time, you know, famous saying that I always go back to with Henry Ford, I think, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're probably right. Yeah. Um, and it just makes so much sense. And then, again, that comfortable in your own skin, that then evolves into sort of a true self, you know, and I think... We sort of, for years, you know, I think some people still still believe this, like when you drink alcohol, your true self comes out. You show your true colours when you drink alcohol, which is total BS. You know, alcohol inhibits the brain to the point where you do things that you wouldn't normally do. Rational people don't do. You make irrational decisions and do irrational things, you know. So alcohol does not show your true selves. It makes you do stupid things. But actually, when you go alcohol-free, over a period of time your true self starts to come out you show your true colors and you know you start to embrace things that perhaps you'd you've thought about for many years that you know it's spirituality for me mindfulness meditation um things like that that have come out for me which i never two three years ago i never would have even considered but now i actually i, I i'm really interested and i love it and i really embrace it i was going to ask you about the mindfulness and meditation and things like that is that something that's literally been introduced to you in sobriety wouldn't have been something you would have been doing no totally wouldn't have done it in when I was drinking I just you know I just would have thought it was woo-woo I would have thought it was just you know just just nonsense you know from working with my coaches in particular you know doing a lot of reading um I love a podcast because I run quite a lot I'm always listening to podcasts around mindset and you know goal setting and stuff like that and, and things you can do to sort of you know kind of because you do need to work hard at sobriety it's not an easy thing to do you know it's not just like an off-the-shelf thing that you can just kind of pick up when you want it's like oh yeah I'll do that give that a go you do have to work at it you know and doing the other stuff doing the, the work in the background like self-care and things like meditation really help with dealing with the, the the higher intensity of emotions that that you feel when you go alcohol free because you haven't got that dumbing down ability that alcohol gives you where you can sort of choose to turn the volume down on certain aspects of your life you're like oh yeah i don't really want to deal with that i'm gonna go and have a drink you just have to sit with it yeah you know and that that raised intensity of emotion you know can for some people be quite a challenging thing to deal with so for me the meditation side of things the mindfulness breath work you know, that kind of stuff for me just really helps managing those parts of it. And breath work is something because as a hypnotherapist, you're using things like breath work. You're taking somebody into the rest and digest side of their autonomic nervous system. So it's slowing the system down. It's slowing the mind down. And there's a lot of science behind it. There's been loads of clinical studies. I mean, hypnotherapy in particular has been recognized by the AMA and the BMA since the 1950s. So all of these things, meditation, they are becoming more mainstream. Do you not think that that people are starting to go, actually, there might be something in this? Yeah, definitely. And I, th I think it's really important that we, we shine a light on some of these interventions, which are, A, they're free, generally speaking, but also they're not pharmaceutical as well. And they're things that you can do whenever you want. So, you know, you can sit there and do like box breathing, for example, you know, is, is something which, you know, I would recommend anyone doing, especially people who have raised levels of anxiety or find yeah. themselves in stressful situations. Uh, you know, and there's lots of great books out there that you can read around, you know, sort of the idea of taking a couple of seconds before you respond to things and taking deep breaths. And it 
totally changes your state, you know, and yeah. it just kind of makes you a lot more calmer. And then the other thing I was going to say about breathing is using breathing for emotional release as well. I don't know if you've ever done any of this. Yeah, but this, it's lovely. This, oh my God. I mean, one of the most incredibly intense emotional experiences of my life was doing this in a um I did a, I did a zoom a virtual session with a guy called um Josh Connolly like he takes you through this breathing pattern for about 20-25 minutes it got to the end of it and I'm sure that not everyone experiences this but then the end of it and he says right grab a cushion if you need to or something and just scream into this cushion and like oh my god the release it's just like this flurry of emotion kind of and then you know floods of tears but not tears of of sadness but almost just like like this this sort of weight is like lifted off your off your soul not just off your shoulders but off your soul i think it's something that you know people should try and, and do every month every week every day you know <laughs> just, yeah Oh, just even one of the things I use with clients is a feelings wheel and being able to label those feelings. Uh, and the more descriptive you are with your feelings, the better. When you can actually look at your emotions and then drill down and go, OK, so I'm angry. Why am I angry? Am I feeling disappointed? Am I feeling threatened? Am I feeling hurt? And then doing breath work in order to release those emotions as well is so powerful. It it's far more healthy to do that than to open a bottle of wine. Oh, 100%. 100%. And, and what you said there before as well, being able to kind of sit with the emotion, you know, and, and not judge it, look, dig a little bit deeper and try and ask, you know, as you quite rightly said there, why am I feeling this emotion? Where is it coming from? Uh, mm. um, I think is really important. And, and that goes back, I think, to the sort of the, the mindful meditation stuff as well, which I did. And, and I think it is like I really enjoy my own time. I think I always have enjoyed being with myself, although when as a people pleaser, I think you, you frequently want to be around other people to have that opportunity to please people to get that you know to get that positive reinforcement that, that back from dopamine them. hit almost yeah exactly whereas like i just enjoy being with myself like i just enjoy being with my thoughts because the, the sort of the clarity of my thoughts is so much there more now i'm able to sit with with negative thoughts which still come and go you know being alcohol free doesn't remove all of the bad things that go on in your life it just makes things a lot easier to manage and also it makes life go from that like that to kind of it's more just like that it's a much more steady kind of curve so yeah so that's all the kind of comfortability in my own skin which is the first one oh then, excellent that's really good like going from that external validation to internal validation isn't it <laughs> yeah totally and and i think you know we we do as a society we do ex we do seek external validation Social you know, media obviously doesn't help with things like that. 100%. And we're always looking for, you know, we're looking for a promotion, a pay rise. We're looking for a faster car. We're looking for new clothes. We're looking for, the, you know, the next biggest, newest thing. And we've got this immediacy in our lives that is perpetuated by things like Amazon and, and social media, as you say, and the internet. Whereas actually, like, the work that you can do inside with yourself is where actually the happiness resides, you know, and that's where you can just become comfortable with what you've got and everything you need for that well-being that overall happiness lies with inside it's, it's not external yeah my next one 
And yeah. uh, I've kind of labelled this one. I've given this one a little story and everything. I've called it the Narnia effect. <gasps> oh, go on. So like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, famous movie. Um, or famous book. I was going to say it was a book before it was a movie. Yeah. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I should know that because I read it when I was a kid. Yeah, anyway, famous book. The idea of when they find the wardrobe and they're scared and they sort of open the door and they're like, oh, there's something through here. Let's step through and have a look. And it's just this world of wow, you know, incredibly high intense, you know, everything in HD. You've got the witch, you've got the snow, you've got the senses are on raised alert. And for me, that's like the nine-year effect. And, and for me, that's what going alcohol-free does. It raises all the sensations of everything and, and enables you to sort of see the world in HD, if you like. I got so, goosebumps. Yeah, so that's... that's amazing. I love that. That's the first time anybody said anything like that. Oh, really? Yeah, I love that uh, nine-year you know, effect. I can just imagine it. Uh, do you know what? One of the reasons why I love running is because I do most of my best thinking when I'm... I do most of my best thinking and non-thinking when I'm running. And what I mean by that is... I'm going off a bit tangent now. Is what I mean by that is if I've got something I need to process, an idea, a problem, whatever it is, I, I find when I go running, I do that very well. But then also when I've got something which is bugging me that I just want to forget about, I go running and I can get into a meditative state and it takes it away. A lot of my best ideas come to me when I'm when I'm running. When I'm when I'm running and when I'm in the shower or when I'm driving. Yeah, the god of the shower. I like the god of the shower. The god <laughs> of the shower is always right, isn't it? <laughs> but the only problem with all of those three situations is that I'm never able to write things down. So I have great ideas and then like memory like a sieve, but I can't remember them. This, I was thinking about this idea of our life being in, in high, HD and this sort of the intensity of the experience, you know, being sort of much more elevated. And I was trying to think of kind of, you know, what that was like stepping through that door. And, and I think for a lot of people who, you know, are fearful of, of what we said before, you know, that, that, that fear of, you know, taking alcohol away and what they're going to lose out on. I think that perhaps that metaphor might be something that, you know, people will, will look at and think oh actually oh that's interesting you know that the idea of opening a door to a world that you've not seen before that you don't know that is a bit scary it is a bit dark it's something that doesn't feel normal going through the back of a wardrobe this is weird oh hang on a second there's a completely different you know parallel universe almost and it's not a parallel universe let's be honest we're all still on the same bloody planet you know and we all still do the same things but it does feel like it opens up a world of opportunities. And I think, you know, for me particularly, it's those opportunities and those experiences that I've benefited from in the last 18 months. You know, I've done more in the last 18 months than I did in the 18 years previous in yeah. terms of achievements. Like 100% wouldn't have done the things that I've done, you know, or not just the beer, but all the other stuff I've done, running ultramarathon, starting my own podcast, you know, all of that stuff I just would not have done if I was still drinking. So that's that's that kind of nine-year effect. Yeah, same here. I mean, I just, somebody once said to me years ago, tongue in cheek, I wonder what you'd achieve if you weren't drinking alcohol. In other words, if you weren't dumbing yourself down every few days with a hangover or slowing yourself down of an evening drinking, what could you achieve? And I, I smile at that now because I think, well, I think we've only just begun, to be yeah. honest. I really yeah. do feel like I'm actually living my life now. I don't, I don't know what the hell I was playing at for the last 20 odd years. A hundred percent. There's so much to explore and get excited about, you know, for me, for the future. And I think that, that again, that, that's something that has come to me, the excitement of 
of what's in store in the future. Whereas before, I think I always catastrophized about the future and I regretted the past. And yeah. that stopped me living in the moment. Whereas now I'm really excited about the future, but I'm not so focused on it that it takes me away from the present moment. So it kind of helps with that being present factor, I think, as well. My last one, which is a kind of a physical sort of positive, really, for like sleep. My good God, sleep. And this is multi-layered as well, because like one of the really horrible things that I experienced physically for me when I was drinking was, yes, the hangovers and the headaches the next day, but also the effect it had on my sleep. So yes, a couple of drinks maybe sedates you. If you drink enough, it probably sedates you to go to sleep in the first instance. But then A, you don't get into that really full REM sleep. Your body is never allowed to get into that 90-minute cycle of REM sleep where that really restorative sleep happens, where our brains process memories and consolidate things from short-term to long-term memories, which is one of the reasons why we have blackouts, even on a, a minor level. You know, that, that idea of, oh, God, I can't even remember how I got home last night. You know, and that's because your brain has a long-term memory of where you live. So you get in a taxi when you're drunk, you tell the taxi where you live because you know where you live. It's a long-term memory. It's embedded in your mind. But then you get home and wake up and say, how did I get home last night? I don't remember. Because your brain hasn't been able to process that short-term memory of the fact that you got in a taxi. Yeah. So so that that for me, you know, the, 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 the quality of the sleep. So, and, and I'd found if I had a drink or two, it was probably worse than having several drinks because at least yeah. with several drinks, it would knock me out. If I'd only had one or two, it wouldn't be enough to knock me out. And I'd get into bed with this kind of racing heart anxiety. And I would just lie there catastrophizing and kind of all the problems of the world would just be on my shoulders. And I'm just struggling to get to sleep. And then the flip side of that is once you do get to sleep, whether you've drunk a lot or whether you've drunk a little, you inevitably, especially when you go past the age of about 35, 40, you're going to wake in the night, A, to go to the toilet, and B, I would wake up feeling like someone was sat on my chest. Just yeah. like kind of literally like gasping for breath. You know, like like the devil had been sat on my chest, sort of looking at me and waiting for me to wake up. And then once I'm awake, I can't get back to sleep. You know, and then I just lie in bed for hours again. And then your mind going, break. isn't it? Mm. Your mind going. And then when you finally do get to sleep, you're then you're then wiped out the next day. It's just totally ruined a day. So my sleep now, I I read, I normally read myself to sleep within about 10, 15 minutes. So I often find I have to repeat about the last page of the book from the night before, wherever I've got up to, to remind myself what I've read. But I go to sleep. Sometimes I wait to go to the toilet in the night. That's fine. I'll get back into bed immediately back to sleep. Yeah. Um, and even if I get six, six and a half hours sleep, it's good quality restorative sleep. And I wake up the next day and I've got more energy. I've got more focus. I've got more clarity. And what that all gives you is more time. So I get up five, 5.30 most mornings. I run and I do some work. I clean the kitchen. I get the kids' pat lunches ready for school. You know, the, the productivity level, it's like a productivity hack. Getting good quality sleep will just give you so much more efficiency in your life and make you so much more productive in what you do. I do go to bed normally fairly early, like between nine and 10. Yeah, we do. I like it. Like I, I, yeah. I like going to bed. I like reading. I like going to sleep. And, and I don't watch a huge amount of telly these days, much to my wife's annoyance, because I don't go and sit next to her and cuddle up and watch something on TV. But like I like getting 
to bed early and getting a good night's sleep. I like waking up early. I love I love being up before the rest of the world. You know, there's nothing. Were you better. always like that though? Were you always an early riser? Uh, not when I was a kid. Um, I've been an early riser probably for the last 10, 15 years, I think. I think from starting running has probably changed that for me, like getting up early and running early, you know, getting that done, getting that exercise in before, you know, the rest of the day starts has always been for the last sort of 10, 15 years been something that I've enjoyed. But in particular, since I've gone alcohol free, you know, kind of shifting that 6.30, 7 alarm clock back to like five. You know, for me, a lion now is like seven, half seven. Yeah. You know, even at the weekend, you know, yeah. and then and then even then I'm like, mm, yeah, I just want to get out of bed. I feel like I'm wasting the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find that. If, if somebody would have told me though, as a drinker, what's going to happen is you're going to be, getting up earlier and going to bed earlier, I'd be like, oh, that sounds really boring. But it isn't. It's just that you're shifting your time clock and you've just got more productive, more alert, more awake hours. What's really boring actually is wasting those last couple of hours of the day, Mm -hmm. staying up for the sake of staying up. When I noticed when I first went sober, I've got an Apple Watch and it told me, and this was the really weird stat, it sort of flagged up a few different things within a couple of weeks of stopping drinking. And one of them was my REM sleep and my deep sleep. Yeah. And both of them had doubled because it it actually, I don't know how it does it. It breaks down and tells you how long you've been in each stage of sleep. Yeah. And it told me it had doubled for both. But the length of time I was asleep was the same. Yeah. Now, how freaky is that? Yeah, it is. It's that quality of sleep. It blew um, my mind. And that's when I read Matthew Walker's book about sleep, which is also a brilliant book to read. Uh, I've not read that. I do need to read that. It was on my, my ever-increasing list of books to read. It's um, really good. Once you realise how important sleep is, I mean, it's important for your health, for, like you say, processing things. Our dreams are processing times. It's not a passive activity. A lot of people think it's this passive activity, but it isn't. It's a really active part yeah. of our lives that our bodies are regenerating and you know yeah. our brains are being washed over it's so clever so clever it, I, I honestly think it is the and a lot of people say this now there's a lot of science around but I think it is the number one most important thing in terms of those pillars of, of health and well-being alongside you know removing alcohol but you know that's more of a subjective choice as whether you want to do that or not whereas sleep it's something that you know we all have to do you know we can go days without drinking water or eating food but try and go 48 hours without sleeping christ my god you're gonna be in a world of pain and hurt and frustration and mood and and negativity that comes with it so that rem as you quite rightly alluded to that rem sleep that restorative sleep where your brain gets to process all of the thoughts and all of the memories and all that kind of stuff is so so important and then the other thing i was going to say you talk about stats my resting heart rate like overnight went from about 60 to about 48 like literally overnight I think you're showing how fit you are there I think mine went from nearly 70 to 60 I don't think I'm not quite I'm not a runner like you but uh, I like to think I'm fit now but as a drinker I wasn't and it was really shocking but 10 beats per minute mine dropped 10 beats per minute 10 beats per minute and that that's that is a lot and um yeah, and it's, mine's gone up a couple of beats per minute, I think, now on average, because I've started drinking coffee more in the morning, which I never used to do, but I found a really great coffee brand. But I just love a, a black coffee, literally, like, first thing in the morning, especially if, if I'm getting up early, early to go for a run, which, you know, does invariably happen at weekends for a long run. It's that 
kind of hit that I need just to get the engine going. But it's still around 49, 50 beats per minute. I don't know the the science of the heartbeat thing, but in my head, I just think, well, the less my heart needs to beat, surely that's a good thing. I, I don't know the science either, but, you know, certainly, you know, it's one of the biggest muscles in your body and the less it has to work hard. And the better, yeah. Surely that, and the more efficient it is, then, then surely that's got to be a good thing. It has to be. It means it's working efficiently, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I noticed that as well. So sleep is a is a big thing and resting heart Massive. rate those those Massive. biological differences that you notice was there anything else you noticed from a health and fitness perspective um yeah i mean there's lots of things if i'm honest with you like and, and a lot of it comes from the sleep and i guess as well but the sort of the, the clarity the focus and the clarity that it brings removing that kind of cloudy cotton wool head that was i think i just permanently lived in a state of fog brain fog which just lifted and now it's like I have to be quite careful because now my self-belief is like through the roof so much so that I just can't say no to things like I keep saying yeah I'll do that yeah I'll give that a go like and I've <laughs> had to really rein myself in recently because it, you know I, I, I overcooked it a little bit I took on too much because I thought I was invincible and then um, I uh, I got ill and uh, I think it was my body's way of saying, nah, you maybe stretch yourself a little bit far. Let's rein it back in a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, you, you don't get aren't... too cocky. Don't get too yeah. cocky. You're, yeah. not, you're, you're not superhuman. You are still human. <laughs> Even Superman has kryptonite. Exactly. Exactly. So, but self-belief it's... is powerful. And goodness me, if I'd have realized how much my confidence and just confidence to be me and that, like, you talk about people-pleasing, and I'm the ultimate people-pleaser. Um, I got it from my mum. I blame her. She is the ultimate people-pleaser. It is just such a waste of time and energy. I wish I could tell my daughter, who is is <laughs> doing the same thing. It's like, don't. Yeah. Please learn from us. <laughs> don't 100%, do it. A hundred percent. And, um, you know, what once you do, it, it's, it's such a... Um, so from my business perspective, or starting my own business, it was not having to get validation from anyone else, I think for me, was quite liberating. Yeah. Um, and, and having that, especially for starting your own business, I think is really important because you have to have that confidence and that conviction in, in your own decisions, you know, yeah. and, and, and belief in yourself. And, you know, you're not going to make the right decision every time, but backing yourself, my granddad, God rest his soul, used to say something which which I'll always remember was not always right but never in doubt oh I like that I love that not not is it not always right not always right but never but, in doubt but never in doubt you know trust those inner values totally. trust you know you know your integrity you know who you are and totally. therefore you don't need to prove it it's yeah 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 beautiful it's it really is a beautiful thing because you can go around sometimes can't you trying to prove and, and please and all this external validation and you're running yourself ragged and everybody else's opinions will be their opinions anyway you can't yeah. do anything about those you can't control the uncontrollable you, can't. you can only control your response to things yeah and, and that that's a really important point as well is is learning that skill set of focusing on controlling the controllables is really important as well you know there's only really a couple of things in our world that we're totally 100% in control of and that's our thoughts our beliefs and our actions you know those are the only things that we are 100% in control of everything else 
we might be to some degree in control of like our health, but there's always an element that we're not in control of, you know, things like the weather and politics and all that kind of stuff. We can't control at all. So just put it to the back of the attic and, and don't worry about it, you know, and focus on the things that you, you can control on a day-to-day basis. And that's your thoughts, your beliefs and your actions. When you can do that and you can learn to do that, you know, the outcomes and the consequences of those will, will vastly improve. Yeah. So what would you say to yourself if you had like a time machine and you could go back to Richard on day one and you're you're contemplating this journey? So if somebody's at the start of their journey, what piece of information would you share with them? Oh, gosh, what a question. Um, and I've thrown that one at you as well. Yeah, you have. You're a <laughs> no little prep. devil. You're a little <laughs> devil. Um, yeah, no, it's a really good question. And there's several things, but I think, you know, it's things around finding your tribe. It's things around sort of self-care, being nice to yourself, you know, not making it any harder than it needs to be, you know, because I think it it is the harder path to choose. Let's be honest. You know, the easy option would be to go and have a drink, you know, to say, oh, bollocks to it. I'm going to go and have a drink. But the, the, the harder choice is is to say no. Happiness resides within the struggle as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, once you can sort of move through that sort of resistance, and you will find the, the sort of the positive outcomes that come from it. But yeah, I think being nice to yourself, not beating yourself up, be, you know, I think a lot of people kind of fall into this trap of making commitments that are unrealistic as well. Like, you know, that kind of, that knee-jerk reaction when you've when you've had a drink. I'm never, I'm never drinking again. I'm never drinking again. And that's something that a lot of people that drink will say, but then they will go back to drinking. But it's also things that people who stop drinking or want to stop drinking will also say, and I think that that's a really challenging language to use with yourself to say, I'm never drinking again. And I think for me, one of the things that helped me most was being able to say to myself, today, I know I'm not drinking. And tomorrow, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to drink. Beyond that, I don't know, because I, don't, I can't predict the future and the stuff that's out of my control. But right now, today, I know I'm not going to drink today. And that's all that matters. Beyond that, you know, don't worry about it yeah yeah just decide it's that one day at a time isn't it one day at a time you know it's is absolutely one day at a time I'm always really mindful of the fact that I'm coming from a place not of addiction necessarily I'm coming from that sort of middle and gray area which is probably yeah. 70 or percent of the population so you know my experience of the journey and the you know, the, the things that have happened and the things that I've put in place and the controls and you know the, the triggers and you know, all of those kind of things is totally different. We all see the world through a different lens. And, you know, and it's not, I I can't compare my experience to that of someone who has had, you know, alcoholism or or addiction issues. Um, But then again, you know, I do sometimes wonder, I listen to various podcasts and sometimes I do think, you know, maybe I was addicted because I think addiction is that sort of, I've heard something that addiction is the overriding desire to change the way that you feel. And I think that is quite frankly, honestly, why a lot of people do drink and do drugs because they want to change the way they feel. And I think that was that was fundamentally the reason why I would often drink or do drugs was because I wanted to change the way I feel. But then it's having the the sort of the mindset to then be able to take a step back and say, well, what is it that I'm trying to, to change the feeling of? What is the experience? What is the emotion that I'm trying to avoid or forget or or change from? And I think that's the deep work that that has to come with it as well, which for me anyway, this is my experience. I only started to do that, that deep work probably 
six months on from stopping it wasn't it wasn't until I kind of got through that immediate sort of any sort of physical dependency or reliance or desire to drink once I was kind of over that comfortable with that then it was almost this immediate realization of this emotional separation from alcohol and that comes from other things that you're attached to relationships and experiences and people and places and um, environments and occasions and all of that kind of thing which I don't think that stops you notice all these different things I'd agree with you on the six month kind of that's when you go okay what now right Mm. I I think you know I'm not being at the start you're fighting that voice in your head Yeah. yeah and then that gets better and less and less and then you're sort of like right well what now and I think the first year is people talk about it doesn't it the first year the second year it's all very very different I think actually it's all just the peeling back of like the layers of the onion it's like you've got to peel back all the different belief systems and the different oh look this is new I'm going on holiday on an all-inclusive or you know this is a, a triggering thing or and you will it's not that you're triggered it's just that there's a habit there that you can then question and think, how can I come at this differently? There's lots of those firsts that are going to continue to come up, aren't they? Certainly for the first 12 months, I suppose, for sure, whether it's your first holiday, your first Christmas, your first birthday, your first wedding, you know, whatever it might be, there's always going to be those first experiences of of doing something which historically would have been heavily based around alcohol, you know? That, that's all quite new, isn't it? And then, you know, the, tw- the sort of 12 months on and where I'm at now, I certainly feel like the second year of being alcohol-free has been a lot easier, but also it's been a lot more fulfilling in many yeah. ways. It's it's like you're looking at the world totally differently. It's the same world, but you're looking at it totally differently, really clear-eyed and clarity of thought. And it's just... But thank you so much. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. I know we've shared voice notes and things. It's just been really nice to catch up face to face. face. And I will put the links in the show notes to your profile so that people can find out more about your alcohol-free clean break beer. Crazy idea. (laughs) And as always, if you want to find out more about myself, you can follow me on Instagram at steppingintosobriety or you can head to my website, louisaevans.com where you'll find lots of useful links, including a link to my audiobook, Becoming a Sober Rebel. Let's face it, in sobriety, there's always a time to read. So thank you so much for joining us today, and I'll catch you next time. Mm